0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning as we finish up a series that we've been in since the beginning of January. Uh, During this month, we've been taking what's kind of like a spiritual inventory of our lives as we're moving forward. And one of the things that we say at Reach Life Church is this. When you come in here, be where you're at. Be really where you're at. Don't pretend to be where you're not at. But don't stay where you're at. And that's what we've kind of been trying to do as we're entering into 2023 is to kind of take a spiritual inventory of our lives so that we can grow, so that we can mature, and that that we can live not just significant lives, but eternally significant lives, that what we do in this life will echo, as Gladiator says, what, into eternity. So uh, yeah, we use, okay, anyway, we use the Bible too, but as Pastor Terry said, next week, I'm really looking forward to Testimonial Sunday. Uh, five of our covenant members are going to be uh, sharing through video and through testimony, and, and it's going to be—it's always encouraging to hear how has, how did you meet Jesus? What has he done in your life, and what is he doing in your life? And then the week after that, January the 12th, we plan to get back into the Book of Romans. If you want to read ahead, be ready. We're going to be in Romans chapter nine and be moving forward from there. So, this morning, uh, as we're closing up this series. I'm going to be addressing a very uh, serious issue that's within the church, uh, which deals with uh, the idols of the heart. So if you would stand with me in the honor of reading of the Word of God, we're going to begin in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and move forward from there. Deuteronomy 6, beginning with verse 4. Hear, O Israel... and when you lie down, and when you rise. Let's jump to verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name shall you swear. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for just the kindness you you give to us, the way that you love us, um, that you allow us to gather together in your name. And so this morning, as it's already been prayed, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, that you would move within us. I ask that you would help us to see uh, reality, to walk in reality this morning, to see where we are this morning, but not to stay where we are. I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, pierce our hearts. I ask that you would capture our minds. I ask that you would stir us in our souls. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would be known in us, so that you could be known through us, and that you would have all of us. We pray that you would do amongst us what only you can receive credit for. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how long you have lived in Asheville, but it doesn't take long to realize that Asheville is an extremely expensive place to live. Have you noticed that? I remember 15, 16 years ago, a house that cost $190,000 would easily go for $400,000 in today's economy. And, you know, have you ever wondered how much you could save if you could build your own house? Have you ever thought about that? If I could just build my own house, I could save a ton of money. Well, guess what? This morning, I'm gonna give you the order of steps on how to build a house in 60 seconds, okay? So you're gonna get to leave here and build your own house after this morning, okay? So here's, here is, now when you're building a house, there is an order, okay? It is extremely important that you understand that before you start building the house. And here's a order. Now, all the guys that are and ladies that are in construction, you can check me on what I'm putting up here. But this is the order, the basic order. Number one, obviously, you got to have a piece of land. And once you get that piece of land, you grade it. Number two is the foundation, followed by framing. Then you put on a roof. Then you install the doors, the exterior doors and the windows. Then you call in, in this order, the plumber. The HVAC, that's heating and air. The electrician comes after that. After that comes insulation, drywall, flooring, cabinets, trim, paint, trim out, which means you call back the plumber, the HVAC, HVAC guy, and the uh, electricians, you let them trim it out. And then lastly, you put in the carpet. Okay, now you know how to build a house. Okay, that is the order. And listen, order is extremely important when you are building a house. And notice I put carpet last on there. You might, why do you put carpet last? Because I heard of a guy one time that was building a house, he decided to install carpet before sheetrock was installed. Thank you, okay, thank you. He did not understand order, and what he did was he, you can do that, now you can do that, but he added unnecessary challenges to the building process. Now, some things you can get out of order and it makes it more difficult, but in the end you can still have a good house. But there is one thing on this list, at least two, but I'm gonna go with one. There's one item up here that you cannot get wrong if you're gonna have a house that will stand. Does anyone know what that is? The foundation, yes. The foundation is something that it has to be right. Why? Because it supports the entire structure. Um, if your foundation is not solid, your house will not stand over time. It might stand um, uh, at first. It'll be like this picture coming up here. It will not stand. Now, I heard of a guy, uh, this is one of the most tragic stories. I have a friend here in Asheville that said that they they were, I saw him at PetSmart, it's been a few years, but he, I said, how's things going? He said, well, not too good. I said, "What ha- what's going on? He said, well, long story short, I went outside and I noticed we had just built a house, and I noticed that the sidewalk was starting to separate from the house. I was like, oh, that's not good. He goes, well, it kept getting worse and worse. And what we realized was actually it wasn't the the, uh, sidewalk that was separating. It was our house was sliding. Come to find out, the person below them had been digging out the bank that was was supporting their foundation. Needless to say, the house totally uh, was demolished because of that. If your foundation is not solid, I don't care how nice your house is, it will not stand over time. Now, let's bring that, that story, that analogy over into today's sermon because this is a great picture of what it looks like to build an eternally, to live an eternally ordered life. And by that, I mean that just like the foundation of a house is essential for building a rock-solid home, just exactly like that, and this is my proposition for this morning, and this is my big idea, Jesus is the only eternal, secure foundation to build your life upon. You can build your life on something else. But he is the only eternally, and that that word eternally uh, is an extremely important word, eternally secure foundation that you can live your life, build your life upon. Because if you build your life on anything else, it will eventually, eventually, it will collapse and fail you. And in our passage today that we just read in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, just to give a little bit of context, Moses and the nation of Israel are outside the promised land of Canaan. They're getting ready to enter in, but there's something tragic going on here, and that is that Moses is standing before those who had once been children. They are adults now, but the tragic thing is is that their parents are not standing there with them. And this is because their parents, uh, when they were in Egypt, they were adults, obviously, and they saw all the great wonders of God that he performed. They ate the Passover. They were baptized through the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. They saw great wonders and miracles, but they did not take to heart who God is and what he'd done and how much he loved them. And therefore... They did not make him their foundation, and they ended up rebelling against him and turning to other gods, idols, the scripture says idols of the heart, and thus they ended up perishing in the desert. And so in Deuteronomy, what we find is that Moses is delivering the law a second time that's what That's actually what deuteronomy means deuteronomos deutero second nomos law the second giving of the law and what god, god is doing here is he's warning this second generation and the third generation do not be rebellious like your parents don't miss what your parents missed and they went after other gods and so that's what when we get to verse 4 this morning we're reading what's called the shema it's probably the most famous Uh, prayer in the Bible, both for Christians and for the Jews. And it begins with Shema, which means hear. Hear, O Israel. That word hear means to, it means to pay attention with obedient ears. A, A good example of this is, you know, like a parent who's called their teenager, says, hey, listen, I'm gonna be home. When I get home, are you listening? Yes. When I get home, I need you to make sure your room is clean or you've done the laundry or make sure you set the oven to 450 degrees. Okay, I don't cook, but I know that that's the number that you always put your oven to. I don't know which, why, but I know that is the number. What happens? What, what can happen? Not in my home, never in my home. Or, or, or when I was a teenager, I was like, yes, ma'am, and I did it. But what, what happens? You get home and the oven is ice cold, right? And you go, what do you say? Did you not hear me? Did you not listen? Did you not hear me? Oh, I heard you, but I didn't hear with ears to obey. That's what the word Shema means, to listen with ears to obey. And God is saying, listen, pay attention. Don't be like your your parents. That's what he's saying to us this morning. This is a warning for us who live in 2023. He goes on to say, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, if you... If you have a Bible with you, you might notice that next to the word one, there's a a, a number or a a letter that is a uh, cross-reference with a footnote down at the bottom of your Bible. And it's giving um, all other possible translations that could have been there. And I like them. One of them says, the Lord our God is one Lord. Uh, Another one says, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one, but the one that I really like is the one that's, that's on the screen here. The Lord is our God, and I like this because I believe in context this is, would be the best translation, the Lord alone. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. In other words, he is our only God. God is saying, listen, listen, people, as you enter into the land of Canaan, I am your God. And in order for you to remain my people, in order for you to be in Canaan, but not to be of Canaan, in order for us to, listen, to be in the world, but what, not of the world? God must be our only God. He must be our only foundation that we build our lives upon. Verse five, he continues and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That word love is a relational love. It can be a familial, romantic or attractional love. It's the same word that when God came to Abraham, remember Abraham in Genesis? He has a son. He had two sons, but he had one that he really loved, right? Isaac, the son of the promise, the the miracle baby. He goes to Abraham, he says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, whom you cherish, whom you have above all other sons and offer him there as a burnt offering. That's the kind of love that God has for his people and that is the kind of love he is calling us to have for him. Love him with all your heart, love him with all your soul, love him with all your might. God is saying, listen, love me, trust me. And he says, and keep, listen to this, and keep my commandments with every fiber of your being. And you know, Jewish rabbis, speaking of the commandments of God, Jewish rabbis say that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament, 613 now, the Ten Commandments, which Moses shares, if you go back just one chapter in what we read today, he lists the Ten Commandments a second time. Those are the summary of those 613 uh, laws. If you keep the 10, you'll be keeping the, six, the 613. Now, when talking about the Shema, Al Moler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he says, uh, he suggests that in the Bible, there is some strange math that's going on. He calls it strange math. He says it doesn't work in a classroom, a math classroom, but it works in, a, in, in the Bible. And that is this. This is the math. 10 equals 1 equals 2. 10 equals 1 equals 2. Basically, what he's saying is the Shema, which we just read, takes the, the Ten Commandments and summarizes it into one. 10 equals This is the greatest commandment in the Bible. And yet, he says, one equals two. Because in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked to identify the greatest commandment, what does he do? He quotes Deuteronomy 6. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38 says, this is the greatest commandment. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Ten equals one. One equals two. What are the two commandments that the one equals? Love God and love people in that order. There is an order to building, right? The foundation must go in first. You have to have the right foundation. So we we love God. We love people. Now, I have a slide here I want you to look at to try to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. Um, This is a slide that that shows what uh, good things that we should love. Um, Now, this is not the all-inclusive Uh, list of things that we should love, but it's kind of like a general outline that I want to show us this morning for you to look at. And notice on this one, what's the biggest box in here? God, which represents the foundation. Our greatest love, our first love, has to be God. And then after that, our other loves that are in the order that they should be loved. Family, church, work, and there, you could, there's a lot of other things we could put up there, but just for time's sake, I'm, I just put a few of things up there. We also need to love playing. We also need to love resting, okay? Uh, we need to give attention to those things at times, but there's a certain order in which they have importance in our lives. Now, as most of us know, some of these things, the ones above here, get scrambled sometimes, don't they? For example, sometimes... We get called in to work when we are gonna go, we're gonna go to church and we have to go to work. Or work has a, uh, a project that's due, so I have to give more time to that. And for, for a season, I have to kind of sacrifice or put my, my family second in that. So Jesus talks about this, right? He says, Sometimes your ox gets into the ditch, and when that does, you need to get it out. Because if you don't, it's gonna cause other problems down the road. And as I'm counseling people, one of the things that I talk about when your life is disordered, I ask this question, are you in a season? It's got a start and a finish, or are you in a lifestyle? Is it a season or a lifestyle? Does work, I'm just in this example, is work always where it's at in your life? That's a misordered love, there's an order. So here's how you know if that's a lifestyle or a, a, a season. One of the ways that you can, can know that is that in your heart of hearts, you're, you're longing for it to go back to the previous order. You're not good with it being like this. And this is something that we always are having to work through during life because it never stays like that in, in life. It, we're always having to, to make adjustments. And I was talking to a retired, uh, seasoned pastor uh, a couple weeks ago, and he asked me a question that I thought was uh, pretty, um, it's kind of one of those uh, questions that helps you to see where things are at. And he said uh, a diagnostic question. He said, what do you think, when you look at the American church as a whole, not, not necessarily my church that I, I attend and am a part of, but churches in America, what would you say that the spiritual health of the churches as a whole in the United States. Now that's a good question to ask, isn't it? If if I had to ask you, what would you you don't need to tell me right now, but what would you say? How would you describe it? And and I thought about that, and to me, as I really think about it, it seems that for many, God and church are an option. Um, they are an add-on, a, a, an add-on in life. Kind of a you know what? If nothing better comes along. I'll be there, Um, kind of commitment. I I, I told him, I said, I think it's kind of an entertainment-oriented culture at times. Uh, It it can be lukewarm. And uh, as a whole, I think that the church in America wants the kingdom of God without the cross. And um, those are things that I'm not beating up on the church. I'm part of what, everything I just described there, I struggle with every single thing that I just talked about. And uh, so I'm not beating up on the church. I love the church. Uh, I'm part of the church. and uh, But that's my assessment of the church. I don't know what your assessment would be of the church. But he said, um, he, he kind of agreed with what I said, but he said this, and this, will, this is, will be in your notes. He says, a major problem with the American church is that it is filled with idolatry. Do you agree with that? I think... He nailed it. When he said that, it was like, yes. He nailed it. Nailed it. And I think that the American church is, in the place that it's in, uh, is lethargic because of idols of the heart. And as we've said before in, in sermons before, that when you were born, you were born worshiping Immediately. When you came out. When you entered into this world world, you were worshiping me, 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 right? We were created to worship. And if listen, if we are not worshiping God, you are worshiping something. And as one pastor said years ago, that the human heart is an idol factory. And anything and everything. Can become an idol, and can be worshipped. So, I guess the question that I want to answer: We need to be more, a little bit more direct. And when we say idol, what are we talking about? We're not talking about necessarily like a golden statue here that we all bow down. I don't think anyone in this room, probably that I know of, has a little Buddha in the back room bowing. Not that he's a god, but anyway, you don't have that. Let's look at what. Uh, let's look at a definition in his book. His uh, book, Counterfeit Gods. Tim Keller says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living an idol has such a controlling position in your heart that it can spend that uh, that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family or and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. An idol is whatever you look at and say, in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value then I'll feel significant and secure. I think that that nails it of what an idol is. Anything, everything can be an idol. It's often good things that begin to take the seat of God. Anything that sits in God's seat that seeks to replace God in your life is an idol, and so going back to the illustration, this is what we, we this is kind of like a what it should look like, where God is always the foundation. But what, what what happens when we remove God, when we let allow something else to become the foundation, which we will, we're going to call an idol here, in, in this illustration? It, it's something that we enjoy. It's something that we love. It's something that we desire. Hobbies. Um, exercise, downtime, being heard. You know when you want to be heard by somebody or being respected by someone? The problem arises when we begin to trust in those things. None None of the things I just mentioned are bad in and of themselves, but it's when we begin to say, I've got to have that. Otherwise, I cannot live as I ought to. We allow it to take God's place, which makes it an idol. And an idol cannot ultimately support, deliver, or fulfill you. And as we're going to see in the next slide, eventually it ends up failing. And, you know, over the years, I have uh, talked to my children about idols and Uh, To give you an example, one of the things that all of my children hope to have one day is a family of their own outside of, of living with me and Kelly. And I want them to have that too. But that's a good thing. God created the family and marriage and children and all that. And as we've been talking about, I'm just going to use this as one example. One of the things we've been talking about is how could that be an idol in your life? How can you make that an idol? And here's how it can be an idol, is that if God says, you know what, no, I have a different plan for your life than that. Actually, my plan for your life is that you would remain single the rest of your life, and I'll get more glory out of you being single than if you were married. Or, you know what, I'm going to let you get married, but I'm not going to allow you to have children. Uh, That is a situation where you have to check your heart because your heart will be exposed in that moment. And let me ask you that as you think about your life, is there anything that you know you could you want and that you can fill in that blank that God would say, No, I'm not going to give that to you? Or, you know what, I'm gonna take that away from you for my glory, for your for your benefit. Is there anything in, in there that that would cause you to turn away from God. Because the thing is, is that you could, a lot of times you could make it happen in your own power. You could, you could get whatever that thing is you want, but you know that if you do, you're gonna have to d- disobey God to do it. You're gonna have to make it, 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 it's gonna be your idol that you serve. And one of the things I tell my children, and just again, in the family situation, is it's okay when you want something that's good, and, and, and you realize that God's not giving it to you now, and He may never, there's no promise that He's gonna give it. It is okay for you to express your heart to God God, I really want that. I really am disappointed. I, I really I, I could glorify you in that. If it's an idol and you don't get it, life won't feel hardly worth living. But if it's not an idol, You can still have great suffering and and sorrow. And you can say, Lord, I really desire you fill in the blank. But at the end of the day, I want you more than I want that. And I trust you more than I trust that. And I'm going to obey you because I love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. You know, that's what Jesus did, isn't it, in the garden? Sometimes we can forget that, that in the garden, Jesus prayed to the Father. Father, if there is any other way to pay for the sins of Reach Life Church, I'm open to that. Take this cup from me. Please let me go on living. I I want to live. But, then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. He was saying, I'd rather die than live without you. And that's what God calls us to, isn't it? Love him first and love him with our total being. Not because he is an egotistical, narcissistic deity who just loves to, you know, dominate and torment his creation as some would see him as being. Why does he say, love me with all your heart? Love me first, make me your foundation. Because he created us. He knows what life is. He is life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And you know, from Adam and Eve, all the way through human history, God's desire has always been, you know, his desire has always been to have a people, to have a church, to have men and women, to have young people who love him more than anything, who love the creator over the creation. All throughout scripture, he expresses this. And and I think one of the, the most clear places in scriptures that I've ever seen him uh, express this is found in Matthew 23 verse 37. This is Jesus. Right before he's about to go to the cross, he's lamenting over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Now here, listen right here. Here is, here is here the longing of God right here. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? Do you hear what he's saying there? I, would, I have so longed to wrap my arms around you and embrace you and to love you and to receive your love, to care for you. Why, so why doesn't he? And you were not willing. It's not God who has the problem. It's man, isn't it? God says, I wanted you, but you wanted other things more than you wanted me. And above all, God desires, listen, above all, God desires to have our hearts. You know why? Because if he has our hearts, he'll have everything else about us. And so I just want to close this morning by you asking the question, this morning, right now, where you're sitting, where, what is your foundation in life? You're the only one that can really answer that. What is your foundation? Also in that question, is there anything out of order that you're loving ahead of something else that you should be loving? So your foundation may be truly God, but you may have your other things out of order. Is there anything in your life like that? Is there anything more important to you than God? Is there anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you love, trust, and obey over God? You know, the the reason that the first generation of Israelites did not enter into the promised land is their hearts went after idols. But what would have kept them from doing that? See, whatever would have kept them from doing that will keep us from doing it. And it wasn't try harder. It was pay attention. It was here. Here, look at what God's doing in your midst. Look at what He's done, which reveals who He is. Look at what He has done, it reveals who He is. For the Israelites, He had set them free from captivity. Why? Because He loved them. He wanted to have a people for Himself. He wanted Them to experience his affections for them, which would produce affections to him from them. And this is the key. This is such a key right now to understanding what is going to make you want to love and serve God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You have to first receive his love for you. You have to get his affections for you. Because if you don't have his affections for you, you will not have affections for him. And every time he calls you and commands you to do this or don't do this, it will feel like an oppressive rule. It will feel like regulations. It'll be the law apart from love. And that's what happens when we forget God. And you know what? That is why I'm so glad that he gave us the Lord's Supper. Because the key to turning away from idols is not just to turn away from idols, but it's to turn to Jesus. And the way that we turn to Jesus is by remembering who he is, what he's done, and how much he loves us. That is what is represented in this cup that we, by God's grace, get to take every week. Remember, Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we forget. We forget. But every week, at least once a week, we get to come together and remember. Remember that Jesus is the only, listen, he is the only one who loved God with all his heart, his mind, his soul, and strength. We will never, we have not done that, and we will not do that in this life. But we can grow in it, okay? We, we, won't, we can't bring our righteousness before him and say, look, I've loved you with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus did that for us in our place. He lived perfectly. Why? So he could die for us who did not do what we were called to do. And we can receive his, we can get credit for his righteousness and he gets credit for ours. That's ours. That's what we remember week after week. And why did he do it? Because he loves us and he wants a people set apart for himself. And so what I want to encourage you this morning, on the sides here, we have a a cup. At the top is a wafer that represents the the body of Christ, the bread. The bread. His body was broken for us. And the bottom is juice, which represents the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for our sins.